Hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to Resurrection State Church. Um, my name is Julie and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and again, just wanna give a special welcome, like Joel said, to those of you who are watching online with us. Um, and special welcome to any of you who are new or visiting with us this morning. We are really glad that you're here with us. Uh, so if you are just joining us for the first time, we are doing a four-week series on faith and politics because there's an election coming up. Uh, as we've kind of joked, it's pretty hard to miss, right? The number of texts and phone calls and mail that you get about the election. Uh, it's definitely hard to miss that that's going on right now. And so last week, Joel talked about how he was excited to talk about the election and he was really excited because he loves politics and studied uh, political science. And let's just say that is not me, okay? Um, I did not have any interest in politics probably up until the last five years or so when I really started to kind of take an interest. Uh, and up until then, most of my political knowledge, uh, if I'm being really honest, came from things like Schoolhouse Rock, how many of you remember this? I got one, okay. Yeah, so I may be aging myself a little bit with this, but uh, they were like these kids' videos that were put to music to try and teach you about different things. So they had one about like, so this one was all about how a bill becomes a law. Uh, and there were some about like the Constitution. Uh, my favorite were the grammar ones, conjunction, junction. Yeah, everybody, okay. Uh, so really though, I did not have a great understanding of politics. Uh, and I could blame my ignorance on my high school teacher, uh, my ninth grade history teacher who literally every day just put a VHS tape in and let us go. Uh, but if we're, I can't really blame her because truly if I wanted to, I could have taken the time to learn more about it, to take an interest, um, and to figure out how I could be a part of that and how I could engage. And so really, I think the truth is, I just didn't want to. I wasn't interested. It seemed confusing and like conflicting and contentious. And I, I just thought, nah, I'm just going to avoid that. I don't want to put my time into that. But as I said, within the last five years, I've become convicted that as a Christian, I should care and I should engage in politics in some way. So what we're going to talk about today, um, I titled this sermon, Politics, Why Should I Care? So that's where we're going today. Um, and the most compelling answer that I've found to this question is found in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So this is often known as the great commandment. Uh, it's this call to love God and love neighbor. And so let's look, just jump in. Let's look at the passage. So Matthew 22, 36 through 40. A man comes to Jesus and says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So now when the man who asked Jesus this question heard this, he would have known right away that Jesus was referring to something from the Old Testament. Uh, but he adds a little bit. He tweaks it a little bit. So when you really look into this commandment, you see it's kind of like those uh, like nesting dolls where when you like open one, then there's another one inside of it, and you kind of have to look into that next one. And so because we are not uh, quite as well-versed in Jewish history and the Old Testament, generally speaking, 
I thought it would be good for us to look at that original commandment that Jesus is quoting here when he answers this question. So the verse he's quoting, it actually comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these verses, for the people of God in that time, were incredibly important. They, were, they referred to them as the Shema, uh, which is like a prayer that they prayed every morning and every evening. So they kind of combined this with maybe a few other scripture passages or different prayers, and it was something they practiced every single day. So when I say the guy who asked Jesus the question would have been familiar with his response, he would have been really familiar with it. In fact, he probably would have been pleased that Jesus chose this uh, because he would have felt like, oh yeah, I already work towards that. That's something I'm, I, I already do that. And the second part that Jesus adds might have been a little bit different for him, but we'll get to that in a second. First, I just want to unpack this again a little bit more. So Shema is Hebrew, uh, and it roughly translates to the word hear. So you notice that's the first, verse, or the first word, hear, O Israel. And the interesting thing about this is that whenever someone said the word hear in the Hebrew language, there was a connotation that it also meant obey. And I think that's something that's maybe a little bit different for us, right? We take in a lot of stuff. We listen to things, podcasts, people talking, whatever it is. We don't necessarily assume like, oh, if I hear something, that means I should do it. But that would have been how they would have heard this word. Uh, it's kind of like if you, you know, when someone says, hey, listen up, you kind of know, okay, something's going to follow that they want me to actually do. Or when we tell kids, okay, everybody, put on your listening ears, right? It's usually because we're going to tell them something that we want them to follow through on. And to take it a step further, in Hebrew, there's actually no separate word for obey. So if you were to say, I will listen and I will do what you say, you just use the word shema. There's no, no separate uh, word there. It's the same thing. So hearing and obeying are two sides of the same coin. Hearing has to do with giving respect to who you're listening to enough that you're willing to follow through on what they ask you to do. So Jesus is really not messing around when he gives this commandment. He wants people to hear and to obey what he says. He wants them to love God and to love neighbor. So what does that look like? Let's look at love God first, since we're already kind of in that. Right before he gives the command to love God, he says, the Lord is one. Uh, and so that, there's actually two kind of meanings in that. One is that, right, there's only one God. So if you think back to that time period, um, the, in the history of that, they believed in multiple gods. They had all these different idols and statues to so all the different gods that they thought controlled the sun or controlled the wind or I don't know, whatever it is. They had, a, they had many. And so God is saying, hey, there's only one of me, just one. But at the same time, he's also saying, hey, I am God alone. There's no other one, and I am the only one who deserves worship. So when you put the ideas together, it's kind of like, you know, in a romantic relationship, sometimes people say, oh, you're my one and only, right? You're, I'm only married or dating you, one person, and you're the only person I would want to be with. And that's kind of the same thing uh, with worshiping God. He wants us to know that he is the only God. He's the one and only. 
And he's the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one that we should be willing to give our full time and attention to. And when we think about that love, it's not just like a warm, fuzzy feeling uh, towards somebody. It's actually something much deeper than that. Catherine Schifferdecker, oh, what last name. I feel like a lot of scholars have really interesting last names, and I'm kind of like, oh, I wonder how that how you ended up in academic, uh, in the academic world. Uh, but she says, many scholars would say that love here is not primarily an emotion. They point to examples of political treaties known from the ancient Near East. And to love one's sovereign in these ancient political covenants was to be loyal to him. That is to obey the stipulations of his covenant, to fight alongside him against his enemies, and to be faithful in paying tribute to him. So I just find it interesting that God chooses to frame this love in this commandment almost in terms of a political alliance or a political um, allegiance. And he, so he's asking for our allegiance to be to him first and to him only. And so it kind of ties in here, right? If you're starting to think about it being a political uh, allegiance, we should think about that even when we do care about politics, which is what I'm going to be making a case for in just a minute, love of God and allegiance to him has to come first. One of the books that I read that was incredibly helpful in helping me understand um, politics and how I could engage as a Christian is called Compassion and Conviction. And it's uh, by the people who formed something called the AND Campaign. Uh, and even though their book is mostly about how to engage in politics, there's something in the beginning that really stuck with me. They talk about this truth that love of God has to come before political engagement. So they say it pretty clearly. I thought this was a helpful uh, way of putting it. It says, our civic participation will not glorify God if it's placed above worship, evangelism, or Christian fellowship. Our civic participation will not glorify God if it's placed above worship, evangelism, or Christian fellowship. So God gives us these commands to love him and to love neighbor for a reason. They're connected. Both are important, but they have to stay in the right order. Love of God, worship of God, evangelism, Christian fellowship, that has to come first above our allegiance to politics or our engagement in politics. So if you're here or you're watching online, you're already engaging in a few of those things, right? Worship and Christian fellowship, so good job. Uh, so I'm just going to focus in on that evangelism piece just for a second. And I want to ask you a question. Are you more comfortable sharing your politics with other people than you are your faith? Because if you are, that's kind of a problem. And I can understand if you are. Sometimes it's easier when you're talking at least with someone who you know is on the same page as you with politics. It's easier to talk about it in some ways than it is to talk about faith, which maybe you're not entirely sure if they're on the same page. But truly, political beliefs can be offensive too. If you're worried about offending someone by sharing the gospel with them, I mean, there's a reason they say the two things that people aren't supposed to talk about are politics and religion. <laughs> Both can be offensive. And so I want to ask you to really reflect on why am I, if that's something that's the case for you, why am I more comfortable sharing politics than faith? Is it because you're more convinced that you're uh, right about your politics than you are about your faith? I don't know. There's just something about that that I think we need to engage with. We need to remember that our allegiance to God and our devotion to him has to stay above our devotion to politics. So if you feel like 
after this first part, you're like, I really need to just focus in on this. I need to think about how I can love God uh, and really make sure that my priorities are in the right order. I give you permission to do that for the rest of this time. But I'm going to keep moving because I do think that these two commands, to love God and to love neighbor, have to be connected. And we can't just separate them and say, oh, I'm just going to do one of them and not the other. So let's move on to the second part of the command. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the obvious question that people want to ask is, well, who is my neighbor? Is it my next door neighbor, my like geographical community? Is it the person I'm sitting six feet away from at church? Uh, is it the people I'm on Zoom calls all day with work, at work? And if you are wondering that question, you are not the first person to ask. Uh, conveniently, in scripture, there is someone who asks Jesus that very question. So we're going to look at that really quickly. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 10, 27 through 37. I'm just going to read it. I don't have the verses up. So just kind of uh, immerse yourself in the story, if you will. So someone says, uh, oh, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And someone who wants to justify himself comes to Jesus and says, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So there's a lot in that passage that you could really unpack. You can unpack some of the social differences, the cultural hierarchies, um, there's just a lot going on there. But I think the, the big takeaway is that there was someone who helped the, the man who needed help, and there were people who didn't. And as I've thought about this question, who is my neighbor, uh, I'm going to quote that book again, the Anne Campaign book, because their definition is probably the best definition I've heard. And so they say, uh, anyone can be our neighbor, and we are called to be a neighbor to everyone we have the capacity and occasion to help. So anybody that we have the capacity and occasion to help is someone we should consider our neighbor. And I find this really uh, helpful because I think sometimes the, the idea of love your neighbor feels so abstract. It's kind of like, yeah, I have good feelings towards other people. I don't, you know, I'm not entirely sure what that looks like. Uh, or it's so specific of like, okay, my neighbor is my next door neighbor um, that's kind of like, limiting the scope of what that could mean. And I love this definition that it's anyone that we have the capacity and the occasion to help. And honestly, I feel like that quote can just preach. I could just be done. That's like, <laughs> uh, it's a really, uh, for me, it's been really convicting. It's been rattling around in my brain ever since I read it. And so when I think about it, some of the things I think about, uh, again, love is more than just an emotion. It's not just having warm, fuzzy feelings towards other people 
Or it's not just not hating, right? I think sometimes we lower the bar to like, yeah, you just can't be hateful or something like that. And it's like, no, this is actually something you actually have to do to help other people who you have the occasion and the capacity to help. And Jesus kind of pairs this with his call to love God. And as we talked about in that quote, the idea of loving God was something very uh, serious. It had a lot of loyalty to it and allegiance to other people, or to God. And in this case, we're turning it and saying we should have that loyalty to other people as well. And the other thing that Jesus says is that we are to love them as we love ourselves. So we're supposed to look out for their needs as if they're our needs. I think that's really hard. I think most often I think, what do I need? And I, maybe I can help out a little bit with someone else if they need something. But I'm supposed to consider their needs as if they're my own, as if they're that close to me and that important to me. We have to move beyond self-interest in order to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay, so how does this all connect to politics? I think that when you think about loving your neighbor, it's helpful for me if I imagine a toolbox of sorts. And there are a lot of different tools that you can use to love your neighbor. One tool is for sure preaching the gospel to them, right? We already talked about evangelism and how that matters. And one might be, you know, being, for, being there for them emotionally, um, meeting their physical needs. And I think one of the tools in that toolbox is engaging in politics. I think politics is another tool that we can use to practically love our neighbor. And to show you what I mean, I'm going to give you a couple examples. One of them is from scripture, and then another one is from history. So starting with the scriptural example, uh, there are several people in scripture that you could look at who are uh, people who use politics to further the will of God and to help out their neighbors. And I thought I would go with the example of Daniel, since we, uh, if you were here with us a year ago, we went through the book of Daniel uh, just probably about this time last year. And so a little background about Daniel. He gets pulled from his home, his family, and placed in the king's palace. And this is a king that's basically enslaving his people, so not someone he's probably super fond of. And he's a political ruler, and this king doesn't follow any of the religious customs that Daniel is used to following including the food laws um, and a couple of other things as well. So at points in the story, Daniel does refuse to follow some of the king's instructions. He refuses to um, follow the king's diet and be, eat food that is considered defiled for him. And he also refuses to worship uh, different idols or statues because he, again, is choosing to worship God and God alone. But one thing that he doesn't refuse in the story is to accept a political position with the king. And it's a, it's a position he ultimately becomes sort of an advisor, so to speak, to the king. Uh, and this is something that he doesn't say no to. So you see a contrast. There are certain things that he says, no, this is not going to help me worship God. Uh, and this thing he says yes to. And ultimately, through that, it allows him to have influence in the king's palace. And he uses his political position to further the will of God and to love his neighbor. And in this case, some of his neighbors, people that he has the capacity and occasion to help, are people who are uh, basically enslaving his people. So they're people that he's not doesn't have warm, fuzzy feelings towards, but he still has the opportunity to help, and he uses that political position to do that. Other people in scripture, you can look at Moses, Joseph, Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. 
So if you think that politics has no place in faith uh, or in loving your neighbor, I encourage you to go read those stories. You'll find that the Bible actually has quite a bit of uh, political intrigue in it. And then my second example is a historical example, and her name is Fannie Lou Hamer, and she was a leader in the civil rights movement in the 60s. So she grew up as a sharecropper on a plantation in Mississippi, and when she was in her 40s, her 40s, is when she learned that black people had the right to vote. And that was the first time. So she went out and went about trying to register to vote, which as a black woman in the Jim Crow South was a very difficult task. There were poll taxes and literacy tests, and she was faced with opposition and even police brutality at times. But eventually she was successful in, in registering to vote for herself, and she went on to help thousands of black people register to vote. Thousands of people. And in that process, she was attacked, she was assaulted, but she kept going. And the reason she kept doing it, it's documented, is her faith. She was a devout Baptist, and she believed that fighting injustice was part of her calling. She was known for her use of spiritual hymns and scripture, uh, and she was known for her resilience, which she cited was because of her faith. Her faith led her to use that tool of political engagement to love her neighbors. It's an incredible story. And if you think like, oh, well, that was in the past. I mean, how, that's so much harder to do now. There are people doing that right now. People like Brian Stevenson, who started the Equal Justice Initiative. He's the author of Just Mercy, if you've ever seen that movie or read that book. People like Rachel Den Hollander, who was the first woman to speak out publicly about the sexual abuse uh, of, inside the USA Gymnastics. She's currently still doing advocacy for survivors of sexual abuse and assault. These people are doing incredible things, and they're doing it because of their faith in God. Because of their love for God and their love for neighbor, it motivates them to be involved, to be engaged in a way that can help other people. They're seeing their neighbor's needs as their own. We need more of these people. Wouldn't it be great if Christians were known for people like that instead of people like uh, boycotting things like Starbucks because they won't say Merry Christmas anymore? Right? Like, let's be known for engaging in political ways for good, for love of neighbor instead. Okay, so I'm going to get really practical because that's kind of, that was my, my job in this sermon, is to get practical. What does this even look like? Because I think part of the, um, as I talked about earlier, my ignorance towards politics was also a, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I actually engage in this? And so I want to give you some practical things that you can think about. The first one is to pray. And I know this sounds basic, but I think oftentimes we forget how important this piece is. We like to be productive. We like to feel like we're out actually doing something. And so I think sometimes prayer doesn't have that feeling, and so we move on from it too quickly. I mean, even myself, sometimes I find myself thinking, I don't know, posting on social media or something will be more effective than praying. And there is nothing that is further than the truth. God cares about this, he hears us, he wants us to pray and to be engaged uh, in this way. My second thing is to be informed. So I know this is tricky, right? Because news outlets, it's hard to know what's biased, what's not, how do I navigate this, how do I even enter in? So my suggestion is start small, start local. 
There's actually, whoever your representative is, they probably have a newsletter or a Facebook page or something where they will post uh, updates about what's going on in your city, in your uh, neighborhood, and ways that you can be praying for things or ways that you could maybe engage. So if you, are, if you live in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood, uh, Mitra, I think I'm saying her name right, is uh, your representative, and she has a great newsletter and a Facebook page if you're interested in learning more about what's going on in this neighborhood. Other things I'm gonna recommend, um, the AND campaign, I really can't say enough good things about them, uh, and they're a good follow on social media. I know I just said that social media is you know, not super effective, uh, but I think it can be helpful in being informed, especially if you spend a lot of time on it already. It's easy then to just kind of add that in to what you're already doing. Um, and another one that Joel recommended to me recently, uh, it's called Know the Flip Side, and it will post whatever the issue is or whatever's going on, and then it will try to, it pulls from different like um, journalism sources and will show quotes and how, the, how one side is thinking about it, how the liberal side is thinking about it, how the conservative side is thinking about it. And this can be helpful. I know Joel talked a lot about last week how we need to, as Christians, not necessarily um, fully hope in one political party over the other and to try and see how both have aspects of the kingdom of God in them in different ways. And so this one can be helpful if you want to try to make sure you're not only hearing like from one echo chamber of news. And then the last one is another thing from the church politics uh, or the from the Ann campaign, but it's a church politics podcast. So if you're more of a podcast listener, uh, that's a good one to check out as well. Okay, my third practical thing you can do is to vote. Uh, and again, I'm going to say start local. If you ever felt like, oh, it doesn't really matter that much about, you know, if I vote in these local elections, there has never been a time where who you voted for for school board probably matters more, right? Just ask a parent or a teacher and everything they're going through with trying to decide if schools should be open or hybrid or closed and how, how that all works. That's really important and it's affecting a lot of people in our community. It's affecting a lot of our neighbors. And so things like that actually do matter. Uh, it, it matters, honestly, you might have more of an impact in your vote on local elections than you will in uh, the national election, but you should still vote in the national election as well. Uh, it, I think it matters and it, it gives us a chance to use our voice to love our neighbor. Um, and again, as I mentioned, no party or candidate has the like, um, the corner on loving your neighbor. None of them do it perfectly. And so I'm not trying to advocate or tell you to vote one way or the other. I'm just telling you to be engaged, right? Think about how you can love your neighbor through your vote. And then lastly uh, is to protest and advocate. So protest is basically a statement or an action that registers disapproval with something that's going on with the intent to see it change. And if you're like, oh, I don't know if I should protest as a believer, you know, is that okay? We're Protestant, so that's just kind of like a general thing. And the word Protestant actually gets its name from protest. Because Martin Luther, way back in the day, was protesting against the abuses of the Catholic Church. And he kind of had this moment of uh, protesting, and that's where the name Protestant came from. So we actually come from a history of protest done in a helpful way, done in a way that is, um, again, registering disapproval with the intent to change, and it's done in a, a peaceful way. And then advocating. Advocating is supporting or recommending a particular action or policy. 
And again, with this, I'm going to say, I encourage you to start local. Get to know your representatives, whether that's from following them on Facebook. A lot of them do office hours. That's a way you could get to know them and, and find out what's going on in, in your city or in your neighborhood. <clears throat> OK, so if all of this seems scary or it's just too much, um, I know also in general we don't really like commandments. We don't really like being told like, hey, this is something you have to do uh, because it kind of scares us. We're like, well, what if I fail? What if I can't commit fully? What if I don't have the time? Uh, what if I'm not good enough? But here's the good news. We all have failed. We all will fail. If that doesn't sound like good news, uh, let me explain further. Because Jesus has already done this perfectly. He has loved God and loved neighbor in the complete way. And when we're united with him, we don't have to worry about failing because we're secure in the perfect work that Christ has already done. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus has already fulfilled the law and the commandment to love God and love neighbor. And it gives us a chance to engage in it without having to fear failure. I was thinking about it this morning, and it made me think, uh, so I have an older brother, and he was really into video games, and we had a Nintendo 64 back in the day, and there was a like Mario game where you're playing as Mario, and you're running through the castle, and you have to like jump through the portraits. Has anyone else ever played that one? Anyways, when you get through the whole thing and you beat it, all the levels are saved. So you can go in whatever room you want to and play the challenges, without fear of like, oh, if I die, am I gonna like ruin the whole game and have to start over? And I feel like, so that, I loved that as a kid. I would go in, I'd log into my brother's uh, account and then I could just go in and play for fun and I didn't have to worry about, you know, am I gonna like lose the whole thing if I, go, if I don't get it right? And I think in some weird way, that's kind of like what Jesus does for us. He's already gone through, he's fulfilled it completely. And so when we engage, we don't have to fear failure because we are united to him and his perfect work. Okay, so I'm going to recap a little bit. Uh, we can engage in politics for a lot of reasons. We can, might feel like it's our civic duty. We might feel pressure from other people. Might want to do it because it's kind of trendy right now. Uh, but ultimately, the reason we engage in politics has to be for the glory of God. We have to remember why we're doing it. We're doing it to love God and to love neighbor. And so some things to consider. Again, pray. Pray about your vote. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the local leaders, for the national leaders. Pray for the election. Pray for our country as we go through this. We have to remember that our devotion to politics can never eclipse our devotion to God. And at the same time, when we think about how we love our neighbor, uh, politics is a great tool in that toolbox. And if you don't use it, nothing bad's going to happen to you, but you're just missing out on a really big opportunity to love the people that you have the capacity and occasion to help. So we're going to move into a time of application, and the way that we are going to do this is the worship team will come up and they're going to play a reflection song and I'm going to uh, give you some questions to think about while they play that last song. So my questions are, on one hand, are you more comfortable sharing your politics than your faith? And if you are, take some time to reflect on that. Talk to God about it. Uh, try to think through why is that? Why am I more comfortable with that 
And what does that say about what I'm believing? And then secondly, how can you engage in politics to practically love your neighbor, to love those people that you have the capacity and the occasion to help? So I'm going to pray for us, and then the worship team is going to come up. Father, we praise you that you have loved us enough that you sent your son to fulfill the law for us. And we confess that uh, even though we know that, even though we've experienced that love, we often tend to neglect it, and we don't realize how it can motivate us to love other people and to love you. So Lord, we ask you that you would be present with us, uh, that you would show your love to us in such a, a way that encourages us and motivates us to go out and to engage in loving our neighbor, whether it's through proclaiming the good news of who you are to them or whether it's helping them in some kind of uh, political engagement way. We ask that you would be with us during this election, that you would keep us united as a church, uh, and that you would work for peace and uh, unity in our country, and that we would be um, lights in our nation for that. In your name we pray. Amen.